Hello, friends, and welcome to another episode of the Perspective Podcast. This week, I'm coming at you with another Finance 101 episode, which means we are discussing topics related to money, finance, and investing. And I feel like it's time to drop the long-awaited episode about investing in stocks because this is something I recorded a while back last year and I didn't feel like the right time to post because I wanted to lay some of the groundwork for investing first. And if you go back to episode 10, you can hear about the principles of investing and how to apply them to your life. I think that's really important to understand before you jump into understanding all the different types of investments. So now that we've covered that, it does feel time to talk about stocks. I remember when I first got into the industry, I couldn't describe what a stock was. I just knew something about shares and share price and how the stock market would rise and fall and people would get all huffy and puffy about it on the news. But I truly knew so little about investing prior to getting into the industry and didn't invest myself. Um, And I think one of the reasons for that was just not understanding what it was and how to do it and not feeling confident in myself or my abilities and also having never learned about the benefits of investing in school I certainly did miss out on years where I could have put money away and seen that compounding interest grow over time and so the earlier and the younger we learn about investing the better off we are but the good news is it's never too late to start so wherever you are in your journey in your life remember that you're right where you need to be and Hopefully this will be helpful to you as you begin your own quest to learn more about your own financial life. And stock investing is not the most exciting thing on the planet, but the way I think we can look at it is what we value. What do we value? What companies do we shop at? Where are you ordering food from? Where are you ordering supplies from? What stores are you frequenting on a regular basis? Now, you may be only shopping locally 100% of the time, but I find that most families realistically are supporting some large corporations. And it makes sense to start learning about investing through that lens. Start paying attention to just the stock prices and the companies that you shop at and learn more about their management and make sure that it's aligned with your values. That's just ground zero in learning about investing is taking an interest in the day-to-day consumerism activities, consumerist activities around you. And it's something that I teach kids. If I'm working with families who have children, they want to teach them about investing. We talk about their favorite games, their favorite places to shop, and then kind of build that out into a greater conversation around values-based investing. So you don't have to look at investing from this 30,000 foot view. You don't have to look at it through a man's perspective. You don't have to look at it like this really boring subject that you're being forced to sit down and memorize like you did in school, it's really applicable to your own life. And I think it's really important to understand that concept that, you know, if you're not comfortable putting your money in a company that you've never heard of or that you're not interested in, or maybe that has questionable management, then you don't have to. And 
that's really empowering for us women when we start to wake up to the reality that we have complete control not only over our own lives and our own decisions and how we shop and how we live and how we work, but also in how we invest and grow our money. And um, I think as more women come online to the realities of investing and the benefits of investing, the better the world will become. If the stock market was run by women, we would be in such a different world. I don't think we would have the same cycles in the market that we have now because women are actually much better investors than men, and there is research to prove this. Women are generally in it for the long haul and more conservative over time and less impulsive. That makes us great investors. So if you're a female and you're feeling uncomfortable with learning about this subject or not that interested, I'd really encourage you to reframe it in your mind and look at it from this higher perspective that we actually get to participate in this system and change it. Without further ado, let's get into stocks and understanding what they are, how we can utilize them in our daily lives, the ins and outs, the pros and cons. I'm covering all of it today, and I highly encourage your questions. If you want to send me an email or DM, I will try to address them on Instagram. So I'm going to cover all things stocks today, and on another episode, one day, soon we will cover bonds and then we'll cover other securities and investment vehicles on another episode. Now, a few things you should know about me. I'm a female who's been working in a high powered male dominated world for a decade. And I quickly discovered when I got into the financial industry, that it was just a bunch of bullshit. And I still feel that way. I love helping my clients. I love celebrating my wins with my clients and seeing results. But I don't do that by putting on a suit every day and using really hard to understand terms and concepts with clients. In fact, investing is simple. And the internet and the the patriarchal world of finance purposely makes it really, really challenging to understand. It serves the highest educated only. And those who are not educated enough to understand will not participate. Well, I started this podcast because I wanted to change that. Because believe it or not, investing is accessible to everyone. One of my missions with the Perspective Podcast is to build financial literacy across the world. And in doing so, I need to talk to you about stocks, but I'm not going to use complex financial terms and concepts. And if I do, I'll explain them. So let's get through all that BS, all those concepts that we need to explain and talk about why investing is so simple. It's simple because you can use a roadmap and a blueprint to get where you want to be in the near future. If you Google how to invest, or use any search engine, you will get millions of results and opinions on what to do. Millions. Right now, I just typed in stocks investing on Google. You guys, I have 2,130,000,000 results. When I first got into the industry, I didn't know what a stock was, you guys. I really didn't. I, I, 
I struggled with the concept of what all of these things are and what these terms were because everything was so esoteric and hard to understand. So let's break it down. A stock is a form of ownership in a corporation. Okay, you are a shareholder. If you buy at least one share of stock, you own a proportional amount of the company's assets and profits. And these units of stock are called shares. The price dictates, the price of the shares dictates how many shares you would want to buy. So prices can vary from less than a dollar to hundreds of dollars a share. So for example, right now, one of the hottest stocks out there people can't stop talking about is Tesla. It's $616 versus a really small company um, like a penny stock is going to be less than a dollar a share. Now, stocks can be bought and sold on several different exchanges which are set up to buy and sell these shares of a company. There are several exchanges you should know about. The Dow Jones is one of the biggest and most famous. The S&P 500, 500 means there are 500 different companies. Those are the top two, uh, but there are a lot of other exchanges out there. And OTC over the counter, those stocks generally are going to be more international stocks that you can't buy on one of the exchanges in the United States but they also can just be companies that are not listed on some of those bigger centralized exchanges. There are exchanges for, for commodities. Uh, there are exchanges for different debt instruments, which we'll talk about on another podcast, but just know when you read Dow, S&P 500, they're different exchanges, different lists of companies. Um, and it's a way to kind of track what all of these companies are doing. So, Again, I, I'm trying to keep the language as simple as possible for you. I don't want to get too into the weeds with the, the different details because I'm going to only tell you what you need to know to learn how to invest. Okay. I have my notes here. So now that you know what a stock is, how do you pick one? What should you look at? Why should you buy a stock? What are the different ways to own a stock? And lastly, what sectors should you own? So if you think about those exchanges, they are weighted based on the size of the company itself. So larger companies are going to have a larger weight in some of these exchanges. Um, so a large company is something we would call like large cap, which means large capitalization, meaning these are the largest companies in the United States and the world. So just think large, medium, small. I am not going to give you all the facts on what large means, what medium means, what means, small means, and what the dollar amounts are. That is not important for today's conversation. What I need you to understand is we're dividing up the different types of companies into large, medium, and small. These size indicators can kind of tell us a little bit more about the company. And then furthermore, we can look at whether these companies are value core growth, a combination of value and growth. And all of these factors are what build into what we call an equity style box, which I like to use as a guide because it can help you look and say, okay, is this company 
small, medium, or large? Is it value, blend, or growth? A value company is going to be a company that has probably been around for a long time. Okay, for the most part, it's going to be a larger company. And it also is most likely paying dividends. That's an important concept to understand how dividends work. Okay, dividends can be paid on stock, but they don't have to be. Um, and basically, what happens is when a company is making a profit, they have the choice to distribute extra earnings to shareholders in the form of dividends as cash or additional stock. So generally it's cash and they're sharing some of the earnings to their shareholders to you as a reward for putting your money into that company. And it's good business for them because investors like getting those dividends because it's a form of income. So I think of it as a form of reward um, all, as a form of income. And these dividend pay, paying companies generally are going to be more value companies. And they are generally going to be considered a little bit more conservative than say a growth oriented company. So an example would be uh, oil and gas companies or banks and financial companies or utilities. Think your power or your gas company or basic materials. These companies have probably been around a long time. They are important for our society, no matter what's going on in the market. And they're not subject to quite as much volatility, meaning movement in price or demand by consumers. <clears throat> so startups and higher growth companies would be your tech companies, most likely. They generally have higher costs they're in their earlier stages of development. They generally do not have enough funds to issue dividends. They may be newer companies or they're reinvesting their profits for growth. So as an example, a dividend paying value company might be Home Depot, Exxon, SunTrust, a growth company would be something like Apple, Google, Tesla. You do have some companies that cross the line and they're kind of working towards building up dividends. Um, but in general, we have to divide them into one, those two categories. But there are the blend, there are blends out there. So it's really important to understand dividends. And this is something that just a core understanding of investing is that total return equals the change in price of those shares of that company plus any income generally in the form of dividends total return if there's anything you learn about investing right now i want it to be that i'm going to link a document on my website spiritualperspectivepodcast.com slash stocks it will be a handout on the basics of understanding stocks but this total return concept applies to stock any type of investing but i want you to understand it in form of stocks because total return is not just about the change in price what you hear on the news is talking about how these 
indices like the Dow and the S&P are moving in price. The stock prices are moving up and down. Oh, the S&P was up X amount of points today, down X amount of points. That doesn't necessarily always account for total return in your portfolio, though, because the change in price is important, right? The value, dollar value of your portfolio can go up and down because the price of your stock is changing every single day based on demand, supply and demand in the market. But more importantly, what really contributes to total return over time is the income on the portfolio. The income could be growing. So, for example, some companies are growing their dividend year over year. They're paying more every year to their shareholders. That's like getting a pay raise every single year. Huge value in that, right? So even though it might be a value stock, a value company, if they're growing their dividend, that can really add up over time to your total return to the bottom line. Um, conversely, growth companies, are the total return is going to be comprised mostly of that change in price. And the change in price can be can swing wildly. So it can go you know, from $100 to $200 a share and then back down to $125, then to $150, then $175, all in the course of a week. So we call that volatility, which is the deviation in price. So when we look at investing over time, every investor is going to have completely different goals based on your own personal situation, but also your goals and how old you are and how long you have to put money in the market, how long you have to invest. We talked about that, you know, the five or six aspects of conscious investing. But what I want to drill down on today is the importance of understanding the differences between the value and the growth stocks, because as you start to age towards retirement, your portfolio will and should start to shift more towards income because you will be on a fixed income, most likely in retirement, unless you worked until the day you die. Most people cannot work until the day they die. So I work with many, many people who are on the cusp of retirement, and I see a need to begin to change the portfolio from growth to value, to tilt a little bit more towards value. But what's important to note is that a truly diversified portfolio will have both. So if you're a young person in your 20s or 30s or even your 40s, your portfolio should have a nice balance of growth and value or a blend of the two. Um, as, as you get older and older, we start to shift those investments towards value, towards income. But there's no reason that you can't continue to buy value stocks that are increasing and growing their dividend because that adds is even more of a booster to your portfolio. So um, with that said, there are a lot of different fundamentals you can look at at companies within the company to see if it's a good buy or not. And I'm not going to get into too much detail about how to buy stocks today. I just want to explain what they are. We will cover investing on other um, podcast, but today is just a, simply an explanation for you of what a stock actually is. Hello, friends. L here. 
I am so excited to share with you my most accessible offering, Prosperity Circles. I believe financial literacy and manifestation techniques should be accessible to everyone, regardless of your financial status or situation. So beginning March 21st, Mondays at 8 p.m. Eastern time, I will be hosting an intimate container for women feeling out of alignment to come together to discuss personal financial struggles. We all know money is a taboo subject in our society. So why not come together in a safe space to share our stories and offer support for others on the journey? During these circles, we will share our stories and struggles, but also I will offer some guidance on how to make shifts and tweaks to overcome any financial challenges you may be facing, whether that be making more money, working through money wounds, switching careers, or setting and sticking to reasonable financial goals. Nothing is too vulnerable here. Every week will be different as we intuitively cover what the group needs and end the circle in a meditation or journaling session. The best part is there's no commitment. Simply sign up weekly at spiritualperspectivepodcast.com slash services. Scroll on to the bottom and you'll see more info. See you in circle. So we've covered the size and style, the growth, the value, the large, mid, small. There are also sectors, okay? So it's important to look at the sectors of the economy when it comes to um, stock investing. So what are, what are the sectors? They are different areas of the economy that are related to a product or service. So they all have different characteristics and there are, I believe somewhere around eight to 10 different sectors in the market. And what's interesting to note is that they are all not going to rise or fall at the same time. The market works in cycles. So different sectors are going to perform better at different times in the market cycle. So if you imagine a wave, like a waveform, just one wave, the market starts out kind of on a low in a recession, it starts to come back up. We're getting to the, towards the top of that wave. At the very top, we hit the peak of a bull market. And then we start to fall and we get towards the later part of the bull market. And then eventually we head back into another recession. So every sector is going to perform well at different times along that waveform. Okay, it's important to understand that because if you own everything in one sector, not only are you not diversified, but you are not taking advantage of the many areas of the market cycle. And we see these cycles happen over and over and over again. There are patterns and there is history and research to back up investing across all of the different sectors. But some of the sectors include technology, healthcare, utilities, telecommunications, staples, materials. Um, and then we do have some smaller secondary sectors such as uh, manufacturing, agriculture, and then you have things like commodities. So oil and gas, you know, so there are quite a few different sectors to look at, but for the most part, they fall, stocks follow the specific market cycles. So for example, utilities and consumer staples are going to do best when, when we have a recession, because we all still have to wipe our butts, even if the economy's tanked, 
right? We still have to. We still need toilet paper and we still need the power on and we still need the air conditioning and lights in our homes. So those sorts of sectors are going to do quite well when we have a recessionary period. Now, with that said, what won't do well in a recession? Just consumer discretionary goods, retail. If people don't have money to spend during a recession, they're not going to go out shopping. Um, auto sales, you know, all of these sort of discretionary things that we could go out and buy aren't going to do so hot in a recessionary period. So it's important to understand, you know, the market cycle as it relates to stocks and the sectors. So when we think about diversification across a portfolio, not only am I looking at, you know, stocks versus bonds, but within the stock portfolio, I'm looking at how diversified are you across all of the sectors. And as a financial planner, it's my job to look at that and say, well, you look a little heavy here, a little heavy there, but also take into account where we are in the market cycle and how heavy you are in specific um, sectors. Because if I know we're headed for a recession, we're kind of on the way, we don't know exactly when, and you are extremely heavy in something like technology or consumer discretionary, that could be a red flag, something that I am going to take a, a deeper look at. So we've talked about the sectors. We've talked about the size and style. Now, the other question is, how can you own a stock? There are quite a few different ways to own a stock. So you can own a stock outright. You can go and purchase it through a broker dealer or a registered investment advisor. Um, both of them will assist you. You can also open online accounts yourself at places like E-Trade, Schwab, Edward Jones, Fidelity, Merrill Edge. There's so many different places where you can go online and open up your own stock portfolio. And you can buy stocks outright. However, there is inherent risk in owning a stock outright versus owning it as part of a larger fund because you have to go and purchase the entire share of stock. So, for example, if you want to own something like Tesla or Google, um, you have to purchase one whole share. Well, right now, Google, let's see what it's priced at right now. The price of Google is... $2,427 today. It's actually called Alphabet now. I'm still calling it Google, but it's called Alphabet. $2,427 to purchase one share. That may not be accessible for a lot of people. So how else could you own Google? You could own a portion of Google, a portion of a share within a fund. So there are several kinds of funds. An ETF is an exchange traded fund okay um, what that means is that this tracks a specific sector or index or asset but can be purchased and sold just like a stock and it is going to be a basket of these securities or stocks that all follow this specific goal in mind um, but the shares could be partial shares. So for example, I could go out and buy an exchange traded fund that holds multiple stocks. 
Um, it's usually hundreds to thousands of stocks across various industries. Um, but if I bought only one or two shares of that ETF, I would be owning fractional shares of stocks like Google or Apple. So ETFs, they run, there, there are just so many types of ETFs. It's hard to even describe how many types. There are bond ETFs, there are commodity ETFs, there are currency, but there are stock ETFs. So you could own a basket of stocks within that one ETF. So for example, the longest and oldest surviving, most widely known ETF is tracks the S&P 500. It's called SPY, okay? And basically it owns all 500 of the S&P 500 stocks. But if you were to go out and purchase one share of it, it's only worth $423 a share. So you would own all five fractional shares of all 500 stocks. What's interesting to note is an ETF is what's called a passive investment. So it is not being manipulated or changed at all. The basically passive investing means there's no very little buying and selling within that basket of stocks. It's not being managed by a manager. So price the price of the internal fee on the ETF is low because there's no management of it. It's just passive. You just own that basket of stocks and you hold it until you sell it. And tax wise, it is more tax efficient because there's no buying and selling. There are no tax consequences to just holding that basket of stocks. Active investing in mutual funds is a little bit different. So that means you could buy and own a basket of stocks but there is a manager who is purchasing that basket of stocks. So they are going to charge a higher fee for their services to oversee this fund. And they get to pick and choose how much and how often of all of the stocks that are within this mutual fund. So it's considered active for that reason. The fee is higher. It's not quite as tax efficient, but you can still own a very large basket of stocks within a mutual fund. And there is a massive debate about whether active or passive investing are better overall. And I am not going to cover that today. We will cover that on another podcast because we could take an entire hour talking about that alone. And I don't want to waste your time. I just want you to understand the differences between owning a stock passively within an ETF or owning a stock actively within a mutual fund. There are a few other types of funds. I'm not going to cover those today. I want to keep it simple, okay? These are the basics that you need to know and understand. So when I am building or looking at a portfolio, I'm looking to see, do they own individual stocks? Do I see stock symbols on the statement of my client? Or do they own passive vehicles such as ETFs that follow or track an index or a specific goal? Or do they own active investments in the form of mutual funds. All of these have different implications for long-term investing, but these are all different in various ways to own a stock. So there's not a one size fits all. Um, I have clients that own all different types of investments. I have my own thoughts about the best way to build portfolio stock portfolios. I'm not going to cover that today because number one, I cannot make specific recommendations to you as a fiduciary. And number two, I just want you to understand the basics today. 
So you've, we've covered the ways to own stocks. We've covered growth versus value. We've covered a lot of this. The only other item I want to mention is how to analyze a stock. Okay, we're going to analyze a stock. So you can go to a website like Morningstar or wherever you have your online account. Let's say it's at Fidelity. Go to the research tab and you can look at that specific company. So one thing to mention is stocks have a symbol. And it's just a shorthand so that on that particular index, you can find it. So for example, Home Depot is HD, HD, okay? It's, it's two or three letters generally. I can pull up research on this particular company and see so much information. I can read about what the company does for a living, what sector they are in. Um, Home Depot is considered specialty retail. Um, I can see the dividend that will be paid. They will be paying $1.65 this Thursday to shareholders per share. Their overall um, dividend is very good. It is, let's see, their overall dividend growth year over year has been pretty incredible. So in 2015, it was paying $2.36 per share. Now in 2020, it's $6. So this is one of those dividend growers that I was talking. So imagine getting a 300% raise. That's insane. That's phenomenal. So dividends can make a huge difference in your portfolio. And that's something that most investors are not paying attention to right now because the market has run up so much. And right now people don't seem to care about dividends, especially young people and millennials who are like my age. They're so focused on growth, 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 but they haven't actually invested through a recession. And what's interesting about that is that it's really easy to tell ourselves that, oh, you know, it's fine if my money drops 40%, 50% during a recession because it's going to go back up. But it's a whole nother ball game when you're investing in growth stocks and we hit a recessionary period and every single day you're seeing losses. So imagine seeing losses in your account every single day for two years or a year and a half, would you be able to sit there and take that and not touch your portfolio? Something that I ask my clients and something you should definitely consider. And another reason that I think diversifying your portfolio is so important. But I digress. The other items that I wanted to mention in regards to analyzing a stock, okay? There's some important metrics that you should understand because again, in the financial world, everything has to be so darn ridiculously complex. And I want to try to explain this in a way that makes sense to you. So the other numbers that you should know are the P-E ratio. Okay, what is that? Price to earnings. So this is comparing the share price relative to its earnings per share. And we use this as a measure of the value of a company's shares compared to another company. So it's good to, for comparing companies against each other or a company against its own historical record over time. And we look at these PE ratios like backward looking over the last 
50 to 100 years to kind of analyze where the market. And we can also see when ratios get really high, that can mean that stocks are what's called overvalued, meaning that people maybe are paying too much for these stocks and they're not worth the price and we could be heading into a recession soon. So a higher PE ratio, price to earnings ratio would mean that a company's stock could be overvalued. A lower PE ratio could mean that that's a good buy. That's a good value. And so it's worth looking at that if you're buying individual stocks or you want to understand individual stocks. And also in a time like now where the market has just run up so much and some of these PE ratios are at historical highs. And how do you know that? Well, you can look up look up PE ratios over the last 50 to 100 years and you can kind of see where they fall, but more importantly, you can pay attention to the PE ratios of different companies within the same sectors and compare which ones are better value, right? If one has a really high PE ratio and a really crazy high price and another has a low PE ratio, but a pretty good rating from a ratings agency and has seems to have a lot of potential for growth or earnings, well, you might be better off buying the one with the lower PE ratio, but you have to do that analysis on your own. But it's just worth knowing and noting and understanding that that's if that number is really high, it may not be the best time to purchase that stock. The third measure of risk in stocks is what is called the standard deviation. Okay, and this is just a simple, fancy way of talking about stock volatility, which I've already explained. Stock volatility is the changes in the pricing of that stock. And the standard deviation measures the dispersion of the pricing. So it's a more scientific way to measure the risk of a stock. Okay, now that is a very important number to look at because a volatile stock is going to have a high standard deviation while the devi standard deviation of a more stable stock like a blue chip stock like the Home Depot I was talking about is going to be low. Okay, it does not factor in all the risk for a stock and just want to reiterate, all stocks are risky. If anyone tells you otherwise, run the other way. If someone is telling you stocks aren't risky, run the other way. They have no idea what they're talking about. All stocks have, have risk. But within the world of stocks, we can measure them against each other. And this is how we do that with that standard deviation. And if you start to look at these, I would encourage you to just take some time, pull up a few companies that you like, take a look at the standard deviations of these companies. And you're going to see the standard deviations of the growth companies are high and the standard deviations of some of these value companies should be lower. So if you looked at any single metric of stocks, I would say just make sure you're looking at that standard deviation before you purchase anything if you decide to invest in individual stocks. Now, there's a few other terms in stocks that we can look at that I'm not going to get into today because obviously as a certified financial planner, I've gone very deep in learning about all of these different aspects of stocks. But these are the ones that I think you need to know and understand to just kind of 
be curious and start looking at companies that you purchase from. Look at companies that you shop at. Like, I don't know. I mean, I go to Costco every once in a while. Look up the Costco price. I go to Home Depot a lot. Look up Home Depot pricing, Lowe's. What, where do you actually shop for you and your family? Where do you spend money? Is it Target? Is it Amazon? Is it a particular large bank that you bank at? Just start getting curious about those companies and doing some research on them and just seeing, okay, what is the stock price of this company? What are the ratings? And what's the research say about this company? Because a lot of large financial institutions like Morningstar and Bloomberg and Schwab and Merrill Lynch put out really top of the line research about companies. And you can typically find that online and just read more about them. And so even if you're not actively investing in stocks yet, this is a good way to learn. And I think this you still need to understand the basis of what they are before you start purchasing them as part of a larger portfolio, even part of an ETF or a mutual fund. Because when you're looking at ETFs and mutual funds, you need to understand what is in them. Because oftentimes I have clients that come to me who have ETFs and mutual funds that are just overlapping and they own so much of the same stuff that clients aren't as diversified as they think they are. So now that you understand what a stock is, we are definitely going to go into more depth on ETFs and mutual funds, as well as bonds and the fixed income market. Because if you think stocks are confusing... I had an even more difficult time understanding fixed income in the bond market for multitude of reasons. I've done a couple of short Instagram videos on interest rates and inflation and covered a little bit of fixed income there, but we're going to cover it here as well. So if you guys found this helpful, I would love to know. Send me an email, send me a DM on Instagram, and be looking forward to the next few episodes on the Perspective Podcast because we have quite a bit of exciting variety coming, both in the form of more spirituality-based conversations and Finance 101 episodes. And if you enjoyed this episode, I would so appreciate a like, a share, a subscribe wherever you listen because this information needs to get out there to all the folks in the world who want to experience financial freedom. There's no better time than now to start learning about money and investing. And I truly think that this information needs to be shared. So I'd be eternally grateful if you can share it with all of your closest friends. And if you feel so called, follow me at Spiritual Perspective Podcast on Instagram. Catch you later.